Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Here we go. It's a Tuesday, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed, Tyler, Danny's running the show today. Jared off on vacation somewhere in Cabo or... I don't know where Jared is. Um, hopefully he made his plane. It's 50-50 if that happened. Big show ahead. A lot of good guests as usual. Tyler, are you there? I think so. Am I here? <laughs> I believe you are here. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, you think Jared's made his connecting flight. It's not. He's got to make like three flights today. Did you hear that itinerary yesterday? Yeah. He's got two connecting flights. That's a nightmare. Where is, That's an absolute disaster. Where exactly is he going? Uh, Mexico? Is that where he's going? Somewhere in Mexico. Uh, no chance we see that kid again. <laughs> <laughs> There's absolutely no chance we ever see that kid again. Danny better uh, get his uh, time card out because there's no chance Jared's ever coming back. <laughs> Other countries? Come on. No chance. All right, here we go. The first bite. Is Las Vegas going to land an NBA team? Oh, what do you think about, about this Bill Simmons report? Oh, so Bill Simmons yesterday uh, talking about the NBA and expansion basically said that he thinks Las Vegas and Seattle are going to get expansion teams, which is uh, by no way new. Uh, we've heard that plenty of times over the last few years. Uh, but he had some more specific details, like the ownership group being Fenway Sports Group, yeah. who owned the Red Sox. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins now, and Liverpool. They own some other stuff. Um, Bill Simmons said they were trying to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves, but that did not work out, so they are apparently interested in the NBA. And then on top of that, Bill Simmons went as far to say that LeBron James would be involved in ownership, and he likened it to Michael Jordan when Michael Jordan bought a share of the Charlotte Bobcats, what are now the Hornets, Michael Jordan effectively became the like head of basketball ops when Michael Jordan became a partial owner, and Bill Simmons said that that would be a similar setup for LeBron James, or he would be a partial owner and then effectively, you know, the general manager or whatever the position would actually end up being. But that would be like that. That is to me that is like some insane amount of detail on a report that doesn't actually seem true. Yeah, and so. He didn't give us – I mean, look, Seattle and uh, Las Vegas has been talked for a lot of time, so that didn't that shouldn't have been surprising to anyone in terms of potential expansion teams. His intel on LeBron, and I think he admitted as much that, you know, it wasn't coming from anyone other than uh, maybe someone he knows or someone inside. I don't think – I know for a fact someone at the paper checked on this, called the NBA. They said there's absolutely no truth to it, which means tomorrow they'll be announcing LeBron as the uh, owner of the Las Vegas team. Um, I mean, it doesn't it, – you don't have to take a huge jump to think LeBron James might want to own a team, right? I mean, no, what else is LeBron? I mean, well, what should I say? He, can, he has a lot. He's in Hollywood. He has a lot of philanthropic um, ventures. He opens schools for kids. There's a lot he can do in his post-career. Watch Bronny play. But it, it's not a big jump to consider him a potential owner of an NBA team. So I don't know if either of us would, you know, fall down if this actually happened. But I think it's a long way to go. And I think Simmons kind of floated something out there, like you said, that there was a lot of detail, but no one really confirmed it. Which, 
if you're the NBA at this point, given LeBron might play two or three more years, I don't think you're confirming anything with him. And it apparently seems that they're not confirming anything with Las Vegas getting a team, right? Other than Jackie Robinson building them an arena. <laughs> Is this team going to play at all net arena? Yes. yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> it only okay. costs $4 billion to build. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's, we'll come back to LeBron, but let's avoid LeBron for a second because I, I find the Fenway sports group part of that to be interesting mm-hmm. because Listen, Las Vegas has been rumored for the NBA for you know almost a decade now. I mean, MGM or some Bill Hornbuckle when he was at MGM every year would say, ah, we're five years away from getting an NBA team. So, like, this has been talked about a lot. MGM obviously has been one of the primary potential owners in the for an NBA team in Las Vegas. Obviously, Bill Foley's name could be floated out there as well. We have that Jay Bloom guy, but we have never had uh, Fenway Sports Group. Uh, and they're interesting because they are an out-of-market ownership group, right? It's Fenway, it's Boston, they own the Red Sox, but they also own, they just bought the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right. Like that's a, to me, that's a fascinating group where it kind of says you could have like outside ownership groups looking at Las Vegas saying, well, yeah, I want to own that expansion team. So even though we're based in Boston or whatever city some other ownership group is in, yeah, we still want to buy an expansion team and put them in Las Vegas. It means it doesn't have to be MGM or Bill Foley or somebody that's already established here in Las Vegas. Yeah, and that's that's a great point by you because what have we said all along? We've asked if Foley's going to buy it uh, MGM with you know uh, the Aces uh, when they went into that when they went into that business and the T-Mobile Arena. I think everyone just assumed when T-Mobile was built. Uh, and if you go to T-Mobile. You could put an NBA team in on the other side of T-Mobile right now. I mean, it's ready for an NBA team. But you made the point the other day uh, that the NBA is like maybe it's like MLS and other other leagues where they want the you know the lion's share of the resources. And how do you do that? Well, you have an NBA specific arena. Now we make fun of Jackie Robinson and his four billion dollar deal. Um, would you be? Let me ask you this: Would you be more apt to believe that someone who owns these kind of teams, the Fenway Sports Group? could come in and actually build an arena, and we wouldn't have this nonsense about a $4 billion structure that you know they broke ground in, which, again, I was talking to a couple of people at the Golden Knights yesterday in the media, and they agreed with us that we were shocked. It's been eight years since Jackie Robinson put that shovel in the ground at that press conference. Like, everyone's like, no, like, Ben Ghost looked at me and goes, no, wasn't that, you know, we, we were like both like, wasn't that three years ago? It's been eight years since he put a shovel in the ground. So I don't, I kind of put him to the side for my belief anything's going to happen there. But if it's the Fenway Sports Group, wouldn't you think they would have an arena plan in place if, in fact, they went forward with this? Yeah, they obviously own Fenway. That's what they're named after. But they also own Anfield, where Liverpool plays over in England. Like owning the actual stadium is or arena, whatever team you, whatever sports team you have, owning the venue they play in has become important to most of these leagues and most of these teams because you generate a lot more revenue. It's it's what the Raiders are doing with Allegiant Stadium here. They are generating a lot more revenue because they can profit from non-sports events that they have at their arena or stadium. And that would be the same. The NBA would prefer the same thing. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't go into a market where they don't own the arena. And this Fenway Sports Group, they do not own where the Pittsburgh Penguins but they own the Penguins. So it's certainly not a necessity, but it would be a strong desire. And, you know, there I don't know if there's a chance that Fenway Sports Group comes in and says, you know what, we'll pay for the rest of this $4 billion arena, Jackie Robinson, so you can be a partial <laughs> owner with us. Let's make it happen. Like, that's a possibility, I guess. But, yeah, I think the, 
the actual arena they play in would be interesting because we have we have arenas for an NBA team, but I, I think the NBA would their their first option would not be to play at T-Mobile Arena if Fenway Sports Group was the ownership. Are they you, would want to play at a new arena that Fenway Sports Group had ownership of. If it's Fenway Sports Group, are you telling me and insinuating that Tick the politician would finally see the money? <laughs> And it would be a lot more than the hundred million dollars seed money that we're hearing about. That you know, for the four billion dollar project. Yeah, Tick Caesar Bloom might actually see some real money for the first time from Jackie Robinson or from somebody to help Jackie Robinson out. Now, a little bit on the LeBron side because we are, like you said, way ahead of ourselves. Because LeBron is, says he wants to play with his son, that means he's playing for like three more years, two more years after this one, at least in the NBA. But. I it would it would bring a lot of attention, but I think I hate the idea just because Bill Simmons likened it to Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan and Charlotte did not work very well. No, that did not did go not. well. No, so I don't know how I feel about hey Las Vegas, you're getting an expansion team, and LeBron James is calling all the shots his first year out of the league. Anything tell you he could eventually be a good owner or not? I mean, he's a uh, really really smart guy, and you know, obviously he's. Like I said, he's involved in so many things outside basketball to this point that have all succeeded. Um, but anything that tells you that you think he could be a big, uh, you know, a good owner in time? I mean, being a good owner goes more to making good hires for the people that actually make decisions. So, yeah, I think the the question is, could he actually be a, a competent general manager or head of football ops, whatever that title would actually be? Because if if he's the one making, you know, roster decisions, right? If he's the one making decisions on who to draft, who to trade for, who to sign, and all that. That's a that's a big deal. He has he been playing a, a faux general manager for the second half of his playing career? Eh, kind of to some degree. It certainly has appeared that way, but that's a lot different from being the actual general manager. And you just look at the Lakers team that he helped put together. They're not very good this no, year. No, they're not very uh, good at all. Yeah, we don't need Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard in four years still playing in Las Vegas when we get an NBA team. So. It's, I think that you'd have a chance to be better than Michael Jordan, but it's still sort of, a, eh, maybe that's not how we want to break into the NBA. The other detail that Ben Simmons gets, and again, this is where it's fascinating because he has specific details on this, but it doesn't sound like it's actually true. He basically said that the expansion fee from Seattle and Vegas would combine for 6 to $7 billion. It would be 3 or $3.5 billion per team. Um, he even said in his when he talked about it, he was like, "Yeah, it'd be three billion from Vegas and three point five billion from Seattle. Why it would be more in Seattle? Those I don't are know. really specific numbers for something right. you don't think is going to happen. Right? That's and weird. That equals out to if if the NBA expanded to those two markets and took that expansion fee, that would be two hundred sixteen million dollars that each owner would get from the other thirty teams in the NBA. Now you don't get it all at once because expansion fees usually come in, you know, installment plans. Yeah. yeah. So you don't get $260 million right away, but eventually you'll total up $216 million. Would that be enough? Do you think for owners to vote yes on expansion? Because you're taking a like take the TV rights deal that the NBA has. It's split 30 ways. Now all of a sudden it's split 32 ways for the end of time. Is that enough, $216 million, for them to say, you know, let's do it. Let's expand and bring on some new teams. I think it is, but then again, I'm on the side that the more they say no, they're not going to expand, that they're going to expand. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, they, they've they've denied so often that they're expanding, and it's not on the table. It's not on the table. It just I just assume it's on the table. And $216 million over time is a lot of money. 
um, to get the to get this done. So I think it would be enough. But again, I think they're going to expand anyway. It. I go back to his his details here. Um, three point five billion uh, a team, and he did. He said three billion in Vegas and three point five in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, he said. It's I guess different. it's you know you got to take him the Metropolitan Grill for the steaks. I don't I don't know what the the point five is more important in Seattle. I, I don't know that, um, but I think I think it would be enough. But again, I I don't know what you think. I I think they're expanding anyway. So um, it it doesn't shock me that that would be the expansion fee. It's going to be a fortune to get an NBA team. I would think. Yeah, I, I think it will be too. And because because again, the whole the only reason that current ownership would want to expand would be to get the expansion fee. Like they like otherwise they don't have a motivation to expand because they don't want to sure. split up the pie two more ways. So their main motivation is that expansion fee. So it's gonna be however high those owners want, right? Like if those owners decided today, hey, we're gonna charge ten billion per team for an expansion fee, then that's what they would charge. Now, there might not be anybody to pay ten billion. That might be too high and nobody does it, but that could be what the owners decide. They might say, hey, this is not worth it unless we get $10 billion per franchise. And if somebody's willing to pay that, then yeah. congratulations. You're in the NBA. So, Jackie? Yeah, where's Jackie Robinson? Where's the funding? <laughs> $10 billion, for... Where is it? He's got enough money. Yeah, what's another What's another $10 billion already on top of the $4 billion? <laughs> the it's not getting soaked. Yeah, what's it matter? All good. So, Bill Simmons says we're getting an NBA team and LeBron James and Fenway Sports Group right. are owning it. <sighs> Bring it on! All right, I'm I'm ready fine. for it. I don't know if it that's happens, but I'll, I just don't I'll think take it's it. going to happen. I mean, I think they're going to expand the whole LeBron thing. I don't know where he came up with that. I mean, like we said, Vegas and Seattle—that's not any news. Those are kind of the teams that have been or the cities that have been mentioned for expansion. I think they're going to expand. I think LeBron would be fascinating. I'm not saying I wouldn't want it to happen, but I think that was an extra step he took to get this story out. And I'm not so sure there's any legs to that. All right, coming up next. We'll jump into some hockey because Robin Leonard is back. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. You back? Hello. Can you Hello. guys hear me? Uh, I can hear you, yeah. You can hear me. This can you is hear going me? well today, isn't it? Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you, Ed. I can okay. absolutely hear you. All right. So, All right. You want to talk some Golden Knights? <laughs> well, we better quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Robin Leonard's going to start for the Golden Knights tonight. Coming yeah. back from I saw, him, I saw him at practice yesterday. He was out there uh, oh. stopping the pucks. Oh, he was playing he at was practice. There, yeah. Look at that. So, yeah. he had like a one-day stint on IR. Not long-term IR. Just regular old injured reserve. Um, they brought him back, though, and he's expected to start tonight, according to Pete DeBoer. Um, do you have any idea? Did you get any sense as to whether or not, like, are, are we assuming here Robin Leonard's playing the rest of the year, like, not at 100%, that he's still kind of injured? I don't see how he could be at 100% with that shoulder, but he is starting tonight, according to Pete. So, I mean, maybe they'll look at him, and he, it's been so off and on with him of late. I mean, I don't think either of us would be surprised if he played tonight and he's on IR tomorrow. Um, you know, it's been so, it's just been so on and off with this shoulder, but if he can, you know, if he can gut it out and wait till the end of the year, um, you know, Brassois hasn't been bad, but we've talked about it. Like if you don't think Brassois could win a best of seven in the playoffs, the trade deadline is March 21st. So I think they have about three weeks to learn if Robin Leonard can hold up with this shoulder and play well with it. Right. I mean, it's one thing to play. It's another thing to play well. Um, if your shoulder's all jacked up. So, 
This will be interesting tonight to see how he responds. And then they play Boston on Thursday, Ottawa on, for, on Sunday. Maybe they try to give him all three because he has rest in between. But like I said, the deadline's the 21st of March, and we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and that's the fascinating part for the Golden Knights is how healthy is Robin Leonard and how healthy is he at the trade deadline. Basically, how comfortable are they with his health when they get to the trade deadline? Because if, listen, if he's if he comes back and he's good to go for the next, whatever, uh, three weeks or so, and he starts most of their games and, and is playing well and is healthy, the Golden Knights don't really have an issue with goalie. I mean, Robin Leonard's no. the guy. Robin Leonard will be the guy in the postseason. But if he's fighting through an injury, and like the, one of the main reasons that I sort of asked the question about him fighting through it is, is Frank Saravalli, when he had the report about Marc-Andre Fleury and the Golden Knights being interested in him, part of that report was that Robin Leonard is going to have to have shoulder surgery and that Robin Leonard is going to need to either get it now or he's going to play through it and get it in the offseason. And if that's true, then Robin Leonard is very clearly not at 100%. And if that is accurate, then the Golden Knights, I mean, in all seriousness, they are monitoring the next three weeks to see how Robin Leonard's shoulder is going to hold up. Because here's the other part for it. The worst case scenario for the Golden Knights is if Robin Leonard is fine for the next three weeks, plays well, and then re-aggravates his shoulder at some point after the trade deadline. That's the absolute worst case scenario because then you, you can't do anything. You're, you're stuck with the goalies that you have on the roster. So it's a... It's an interesting situation for the Golden Knights where they, they aren't really in a great position to go make a move, but if Leonard's hurt, then they will have the flexibility to do so, but Robin Leonard's not hurt at the moment, and their best option is for Robin Leonard to simply be healthy and able to play the rest of the way, but that's a massive question mark. I like Brassois, uh yesterday. I don't know if you heard his comment. He was asked, um, you know, when you don't play a lot and then you get to play a lot, when you don't play a lot, how do you keep your rhythm up? How do you you know, stay sharp, and his answer was, well, I've had a lot of experience in that, which was actually a pretty funny answer. I've had a lot of experience with not playing. Um, I I thought he's played well of late. They didn't help him out very much in some of those games. Have you changed your mind that if worse came to worse, and I guess that's a, you know, it's a harsh way to say it um, on his part, that he could win a series? Yeah, I think he could win a series. I I think absolutely they could win a series with Laurent Brassois, but the problem is, can you win the Stanley Cup? Like it's like it's it's one thing if okay yeah you can beat L A in the first round or whatever it is but are you are you winning the Stanley Cup with Laurent Brossois are you beating Calgary and Colorado in back to back series with Laurent Brossois probably not like right. I think you you look up the yeah I mean you're gonna need you're gonna need good goaltending and, and listen hockey's weird the Golden Knights almost lost to a guy named Thatcher Demko a couple of years ago like who the hell was Thatcher Demko so like is it possible that Brossois or even Logan Thompson right has an incredible two months in the Golden Knights, you know, win a Stanley Cup because Logan Thompson was awesome, it's possible. Hockey's a weird sport. Goalies come out of nowhere and then fall off the face of the earth sometimes as well. But I, that's not what this organization should be betting on because this organization has gone all in, and that is not, you're not betting on Logan Thompson to have a magical two-month run. You're betting on, hey, this Robin Leonard guy has been pretty good for his career. We're expecting him to be pretty good in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, look, they got him for a reason, and they chose him over Fleury for a reason. So he's got to be the guy if they're playing really good teams in the playoffs. But I, I think it's just going to be all dependent about the shoulder. And I don't think the shoulder is going to be 100%. It's, it's impossible to me if his shoulder, if he was on IR two days ago, that his shoulder is going to be 100% for the rest of the season if he plays, right? I mean, I, I, I yeah. they're, they're now in the mode. they're now in the mode of um, – 
you know, every other day, which they said yesterday they like. There's more rhythm to it now, like everyone else is. They're back to normal schedule, and I, I think that's going to help them in a lot of ways. I don't know if that helps Robin Leonard, though, with the shoulder. So I think Bersaw is going to have to come here uh, as, as, they, as they rest Leonard. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm going to go tonight. I'm fascinated to see how Robin Leonard plays. He's going to be the one I watch most because – you know, if, if he shows any signs of a shoulder injury or wear and tear, we could we could be seeing them making a move by the 21st. Man, can you imagine if this doesn't go well? Like if Robin Leonard comes back and isn't playing very well? Oh. <laughs> Are you talking about the fanatics for number yes. 29 at the old T-Mobile Arena? Oh, I mean, Robin really? Leonard said it like people are waiting to jump on him. Like he's he's said it before about the Marc Andre Fleury, you know, distinction in the fan base. And uh, if he doesn't play well, like if Robin Leonard's the reason that this team doesn't win a Stanley Cup or even falls out of the playoffs, which is I guess still a possibility, like it's it's not going to be uh, the most fun fan base to no. be around. No, it's not. I mean, I don't know if it's a fun fan base now when it comes to Fleury. Never mind if 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 Robin Leonard uh, like falters and doesn't play well. But, you know, it's not going to be a surprise to him. It's not going to be a surprise to us if he falters. And here's the thing. He could get to the Stanley Cup final and falter, and they'll be all over him. I mean, if they don't win it, there's going to be people here saying, see, I told you, Flower would have done better. You say, yeah, why did you move the Flower? What happened? You know what I mean? I mean, they will be. They could get to the Stanley Cup final and play Tampa, and Tampa's just better, whoever they play from, from, from over there, and lose in like six, and Leonard, you know, isn't awful and they'd be all over him so i think yeah. he understands that and you know it's it's silly but we've seen silly when it comes to this fan base in flurry oh yeah and listen mark andre flurry's had a big hand in the golden knights elimination for three of the four years in the postseason i mean when they got yes. to the stanley cup final flurry was awesome for the first three rounds of the first year playoff run he was bad in the po- in the stanley cup final like the capitals torched him you go back to when they lost to san jose flurry gives up a soft goal in game six overtime that causes them to go to game seven and then yeah was it a bad call should the power or should the penalty kill have given up less shots sure mark andre Fleury gave up four goals in five minutes like stop one and the golden knights are advancing in the second round and then last year against montreal he kicks a puck in front of his own net that turns the series and montreal goes on to win like he's had a big hand in this team losing but that has not registered for a large portion of the fan base in terms of ah Who's the best goalie? Who should be the goalie of this team? Robin Leonard really hasn't had a big hand in the Golden Knights losing. The, the only time Leonard was the primary goalie in the postseason was year three when the Golden Knights stopped scoring for like 10 games in the postseason when every notable player had like a seven-game goalless drought in the postseason. Leonard was fine in the bubble playoffs. They just couldn't score against Dallas. Hell, they couldn't score against Vancouver for the second half of that series and barely won because Robin Leonard was great. Yeah, so, but I mean, didn't the kick in give us george mcphee's famous gif of falling off his chair and waving his hands was that when he did that uh was I that like that was a different time was that a different time oh that's too bad it was a I great that was gift. a different I mean, time it is a good we could there just, is we i don't, should just be putting that on our rundown every day I don't on know, the internet yeah i don't know why tv executives don't have a picture in picture of george mcphee yes like during yes. golden knights games that should absolutely that should be mandatory the guy looks insane <laughs> every time we get one the guy he seems insane, insane. <laughs> so like Please give us that because I want to know, like, game 37 of the season in January, George McPhee is, like, kicking and throwing things because yeah. they went down one nothing in the first yeah. period to, like, Minnesota. Like, I, I want to see that because that would be a phenomenal thing. All right. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. 
We're on month three of Dishwasher Watch. David Roth from Defector is with us on the Press Box. Subscribe to The Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month of Stitcher Premium. David, has there ever been a point for your dishwasher where there was a deadline set and then arbitrarily pushed back to the next day like we just had in baseball last night? No, that'd be amateurish behavior. Come on. This is all – I don't know why anybody would live or, or, or run a business like that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it, I don't want to say that it reminds me of, of that, but there is this sort of sense. I saw it this morning that Buster only uh, posted that the negotiations were on the 30-yard line. And beyond the fact that it's hard to tell, uh, you know, which which thirty he's talking about, and you know <laughs> how many plays it took to get there, there's definitely uh, it. I would say that like the dishwasher thing has been kind of stalled out around midfield with a bunch of like just back and forth like encroachment and personal foul penalties <laughs> for like now for two months. So it is uh, <laughs> there's no good metaphor for that experience. The uh, lockout does kind of feel like it though. It's close enough. It's, Did you stay up last night? Like, the funniest yeah. thing is last night, reporters tweeting, uh-oh, they're headed back over for meeting number 12. So I went to sleep at uh, meeting, at round 11, uh, which was, you know, like one twenty or something Eastern time. And it was just like, I've done enough of these sorts of negotiations. Like, when this is like how these sorts of contracts go. Like, nobody wants to finish that, like, a time when you could reasonably eat dinner. Well, if you didn't eat a pizza that was the exact temperature of the room that you're in at some point during the last stages of a negotiation, it's like the contract is invalid. But at some point also it became clear where it's just like the, you know, like reading the name Morgan Sword, who's the name, that's one of the people on the owner's negotiating side. Like, when I saw that name for the fifth time last night, I was like, you need to go to bed. Like, you still have to work tomorrow. Even if they did this now, like you'd still have to get up when the alarm goes off and talk on the radio and write about sports. Uh, I'm not surprised they're not done, but uh, yeah, I should know better. I'm definitely not staying up that late tonight unless um, you know, unless I have a good reason. Isn't it just so predictable, though? Nothing, nothing, nothing. They yeah. set some kind of arbitrary deadline, which I don't know if anyone ever believed, and now all of a sudden, well, they're close, and that deadline could be that we're going to extend the deadline. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's all the whole thing has been this like. Beyond being completely the product of the owners, I mean, the deadline is something that they made up. Like, the lockout is something that they initiated that could end the moment they decided to end it. So it's like, not only is it completely arbitrary, but it's like, it's done by people that don't even seem to know how to do arbitrary things especially well. So you're just kind of like, you're like, yeah, all right, I get it, Mr. Montfort. Like, it could could cost us games or whatever, but these aren't serious people. <laughs> I don't know why I would take it seriously, you know, when they make some stuff up and then roll it back like a couple times a week. Uh, so does it get done today? Like, are we assuming it today, at whatever, uh, whatever arbitrary deadline they set today, that they're actually going to have an agreement and we won't miss any games? I really hope so, but it's so difficult to know what to expect. Like, I think it seems like the the part of it, I remember we were talking about this last week and it seemed like there was some process like progress in that, like when the players would propose something, the owners would not like immediately propose some new thing that they'd never brought up before. And it seems like we're at least out of, out of that stage, but we were on our way out of it. To me, it all feels like they're going to, the owners really, really want this 14 team playoff deal. 
And I guess maybe the last thing to figure out is what the players can extract from them if they're willing to, to give them that. I don't think four, I think 14 teams seems like way too many to have in the playoffs. Like that's like basically half the league. And it, the difference in payout, it seems like for a 14 team playoff versus a 12 team one is like $15 million, which in the grand scheme of things for Major League Baseball is extremely small. Like someone's going to pay that money to like Jay Happ as soon as they start signing out <laughs> contracts again, you know? And I don't, I can't believe that it would really be held up for that long over that. And yet, again, it's just sort of like, I don't know, I don't trust these guys to make the right decision or to get out of their own way, like, at all. After all this is said and done, do the players a good deal? I hope so. I mean, I think so. I think that the thing that they managed, it seems like, to avoid here is, like, they didn't really get rolled. And the owners, as much as they wanted, I think there is this faction within the owners' like group, I sense, that really wants to break the union here, that's wanted to break the union since, like, not just since, like, 1994, but since, like, the union started, since, like, 1962. They never got over it. And so, like, people like Reinsdorf that have been around for roughly that time, you know, are still mad about it. I think the players' union, it seems like, managed to stick together. They got their messaging right. They happened to be right on most of the issues here. Like, it was never exactly clear what the owners wanted. But... My concern is that like, this does seem like the sort of thing that's going to take two or three collective bargaining agreements to get back to where it should be, because for 20 years, basically, it atrophied. Like, they didn't really like, advocate for themselves as forcefully as they should have, and we wound up with like, not just with this thing that's basically a luxury tax, but that the owners are now treating as, like, it can't go up, it's not pegged to inflation, so like, they move that up. $20 million per team. That's a win. It's just still not where it would have been if, like, when they first brought it into being, they made it, like, more dynamic and tied it to, you know, inflation in a meaningful way. So it's a good deal. It's just, like, it's not going to be the last good deal they have to get. Um, which John Morant highlight was better yesterday? Dunking on seven-footer Jakob Pertl or hitting a buzzer beater while catching the ball in midair and releasing it before hitting the ground? The buzzer beater was a pure at-home laugh-out-loud moment for me. I have no idea how, like, in an empty gym, how you would make that shot any time out of 100. But I guess it's like when those are your 51st and 52nd points of the night, it's like <laughs> you might as well just shoot it. It doesn't, like, what, what, what could possibly go wrong? The dunk is incredible. I feel like he is at this level. One of my coworkers compared them to, like, the 2015 Warriors in Slack yesterday, which is, like, loose talk and yet at the same time I'm having a hard time kind of puncturing the idea of it. It's incredible praise to Morant. I mean like he's not he's not similar to Steph, but in terms of just being a young point guard breaking out doing things that I've never seen anybody do before, like I have a hard time disagreeing with any of that. And then the rest of it is like the team's really good. They're like really mean. They defend. They score a lot of points like and I don't know how you beat a team that's got a guy that's scoring 52 points in the way that Moran is doing it. Like, it's good for the world. It's good for basketball that he's doing all this cool stuff. But like, I think that it maybe makes me underrate how good the actual team around him is. 22 of 30 shooting. And like you yeah, said, he's not still, but that's For a perimeter player, too. I mean, I just don't know, like, beyond the fact that he's like a better athlete than anyone else out there, like, that's... I mean, that's an incredible volume of shots, but I don't know, like, 
what you do against the guy that's gonna like score that efficiently on that many shots. That's like not a solvable problem. I mean, it helps that it's the Spurs, but it's still like, come on. Assuming you saw Bill Simmons yesterday, do you believe his report or speculation that Fenway Sports Group and LeBron James would be an ownership group for a team in Las Vegas? I'm more curious what you all thought about it. I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, I don't know where he's getting that. I don't get this. Do you get the sense that, that Simmons is like real sore stuff in LeBron's camp? No. <laughs> like, Not so, at all. It's like Mad Libs. Like, it's like, yeah, Family Sports Group and LeBron. Um, or, oh, wait, now I'm hearing it's actually going to be uh, it's Carl Malone and Halliburton <laughs> are going to do it. Like, it's just, it feels kind of, like, arbitrary. But, uh, I mean, I think it's probably, if the NBA expands, like, I think Las Vegas seems like Las Vegas and Seattle are the two things that, that really pop out at me as being the obvious answers to that. But um, I guess this is where Simmons is now. Like, did you you read him when he was still writing, right? Yes. Like twenty years yes. ago or whatever. Yes. Like, I he was super influential for me. I used to read him at my first job, and like, it, I remember it like blowing my mind. I was like, I didn't know that you could uh, like write and first of all not be edited, but also just like write <laughs> from that perspective. And now it's like the idea. If you told me like twenty years later, the guy would have like six houses, all of them in L.A. County, like all of them, like basically a fifteen minute drive from each other. And then his whole job is being on a podcast and then, like, making up stuff about things that LeBron might be doing. I think I'm impressed. I probably have some questions about why he has so many houses. I guess I do have questions about that, but, yeah. Well, do you – and maybe it's not fair to compare him. We were talking about this earlier with Jordan and what's happened with him as an owner. What do you think about LeBron as an owner? Is it, I mean, would it be too early to tell? Or do you, given all the other stuff he's done, whether it's – philanthropic and schools and Hollywood and everything else. How do you think he fits into an ownership? I think that he probably doesn't fit as well into that, like, fraternity of extremely rich guys as, like, he might. Uh, you know, but it probably fits in better in the NBA than he would in any other pro sports league. To me, like, the thing with him is that, like, you just can't have him around a front office. It's the one thing that he's bad at. You know, that like all of the sort of every time he's put his thumb on the scale for a transaction or like leaned on a GM, it's wound up hurting his team. And in this case, like as I mean, as an owner, if it was the sort of thing like if he did it like Jordan and you just kind of like he shows up at games and, you know, I don't think Jordan exactly signs autographs, but shows up at games and drinks uh, 14 ounces (laughs) of tequila and scowls at children or whatever it is that Jordan does. And like, yeah, that's. I guess that's the owner's job. I'm sure LeBron could do it. He's succeeded at most things he's done. I, I feel like the league would probably not want to have a former player of such recent vintage as an owner, but I don't know. It's different. You know, like he's, I think, got more of a consciousness than Jordan sort of does. So, like, having a player that, like, seems like pro union, pro player in the way that LeBron does, I think the owners might have an issue with that. Uh, he is going to draft his son number one overall when no. he is the GM of Ronnie. the Las Vegas team. I've been, so have you all been talking about this, that, like, <laughs> that thing where he wants to play his last year with his son? Yes. Who seems like a good but not great college prospect. Like right. the idea of just assuming. But I'm thinking about like which team would make the absolute sucker move of like drafting Bronny in the second round so they could get a 41-year-old LeBron to like put asses in seats. <laughs> and like it, it feels very Washington Wizards to me, but I feel like there's other like basically it's like half the league 
would not be completely averse to that. Oh no! Yeah, no. If you're if you're yeah. like Sacramento no, or yeah. Indiana yeah, like, or Orlando, <laughs> yeah, of course like, that's what, a no-brainer. You you're gonna blow the pick anyways. Yeah, you're gonna blow your pick anyways. Might as well take Bronny and get LeBron for a year. But the idea of like LeBron at the very end of his career playing like. 12 moderately effective minutes as like a backup power forward for somebody like just like giving Jonathan Isaac a rest in the second quarter is like he's still so good it's like really hard to imagine that at this point but yeah I mean like the that's that would be a real like weird like Namath with the Rams type epitaph to his career you know that like everything's really you know like he's done stuff nobody's ever done he's won all these championships like presumably by that point he'll have like gone back to Cleveland and you know had like a second uh, <laughs> you know welcomed homecoming or whatever. But then the idea of like going out at the end playing like Bo Outlaw minutes is really like all right, man. If that's what you want. Well, he is David Roth from Defector. David, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks guys. David. Have a good day. Take care. So there is David Roth on uh, baseball, and maybe we're getting that sport back and the NBA coming up it. next. What what did I call? You you call it. This this the, the arbitrary deadline is a joke. Oh yeah. Absolutely. They'll get done today and say, "Oh, okay, yeah. we can start on the 31st. Yeah. Pitchers and catchers tomorrow. We're good to go." All right, coming up next. How early is too early to draft a punter? It's the press box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Thanks to David Roth for joining the show. We'll be joined a little bit later by Charles McDonald get into the NFL and I have a question for you now Ed NFL wise how early is too early to draft the best punter in the history of college football because Matt Ariza oh. coming out of San Diego State is draft eligible Tough how one. early how early would how, how early would he have to be taken for you to be saying wow that was that's too soon second day second it's second too, too soon is the second day I think that's I think I, I would not draft him until the third day I will this not is an alum be... talking. This is an alum. I love Matty Ariza. He should be drafted in the third round. Okay, that's, so you got him in the second day. Yes, should be drafted in the third round. But you're saying you'd be shocked if he got drafted in the, on yeah, the second and, day. Yeah, and I read the story you shared here, and I do think there's a lot of truth to uh, Is he good enough to go in the second day? Probably. But I think the story made a good point in that GMs are so petrified to take someone like that high because if he fails, and a lot of look, a lot of great college punters have failed in the NFL for whatever reason. Um, the, the, as the source said, they don't kick how the NFL wants them to kick. He just absolutely booms it, two eighty yard plus uh, punts this year for San Diego State. Um, I think they're so petrified, as the story said, that they don't want to be the ones to say, "Oh, you know, two years later he's a bust and we cut him." It's like, yeah, but you could have had that safety. You could have had Alex Leatherwood. Wait a minute, he's a first rounder. You could have had, uh, you know, that corner that everyone wanted. So, uh, not saying he's not good enough for your estimation of the third round. I just think he's going to drop to the. Th- I think he's going to drop to the third day. Why do you think we do that on punters and kickers more than other positions? Because guys whiff on picks all of the time. I mean, the Raiders traded Lynn well, Bowden exactly. before the guy even played for the team. Like, didn't even make it to training camp. And they traded away one of their mid-round picks. Like, teams, they completely miss on picks at every position in every round of the draft. But for whatever reason, there's like a worse stigma with a kicker or punter where it's like, okay, cool. We missed on that. We would have missed on the linebacker. We would have taken two. I think it's just the perception of the positions. Which one did you say you don't need? 
Uh, you no no. You only need one guy that kicks. Oh, you the only balls need one on guy to do both. Well, yes. I think Ariza did both. Right, and that's so, like so. You should draft him high. But draft no. him and yes. cut your kicker tomorrow. My Hello. my argument is that there is a finite number of roster spots, and t- NFL teams use two on guys that just kick the ball when there should only be one guy on your roster that's kicks the ball and he should be good <laughs> enough at both field goals and punting and well and we'll throw in kickoffs he should be good enough at all three of those things because what does he do all day right like how many kicks do you actually how much practice do you actually need once you get out you should be able to master all three facets of the kicking game with one player you should not need multiple. you're telling me justin tucker can't drop the ball down and punt it 50 something yards i he has to be able to do that why do the ravens have a punter that's my argument and if matt Ariza can do both i'm drafting that guy in the second okay. round and i'm saving myself a roster spot well stop it because you're borderlining saying that aj cole doesn't matter and we need him for interviews listen because he's they a top just five need, interview on the raiders they only need one of aj cole or daniel which Carlson. i would take daniel carlson they only need one. The like if you if you want Daniel Carlson, great. Just have Daniel Carlson practice punting for like what? What's it going to take Daniel Carlson to be an average NFL punter? Like three weeks worth of practice, right? It cannot be that hard. <laughs> cannot be that hard. Placing inside the twenty, the hang time, all of that that they that they covet in the league. You think it'd take him three weeks? Yeah, well, it cannot be that hard. Come on, he's already kicking. It's not. It's not me. It's not a guy whose leg doesn't work. It's. <laughs> It's a guy who kicks professionally for a living. He just swings his leg at the ground as opposed to straight up in the air. Like, it cannot be that difficult to have somebody. You don't have to have, like, the guy doesn't have to be the best kicker and the best punter. Just be really good at one and average at the other. Be really good at the kicking, which actually gets you the points. And save your team around. I don't understand why teams will do it. I don't get it. And if Matt Ariza can do it, I draft the guy in the second round and make him do both. Because why why the hell not? So, by the way, the other part of this that's fun, like, the story in the Athletic about Matt Ariza, uh called him the punt god. Yes. C- can there be too much hype on a punter? Well, if there is, this is the best example when he's named right. God. Right, like punt god, and I'm sitting here saying, "Yeah, take him in the second round. Why not?" <laughs> like, he, there's a lot of hype on him. Like, he's going to have the most pressure-packed punts in the NFL next year. Because imagine if he gets drafted in the second round and he shanks one. Like, oh. just sends his first punt, like, 10 yards down the field. Imagine if he does oh. that at the Combine. Then he will slip to the third day. <laughs> no chance at the Combine. He'll, He'll be, be booming him. Adam Hill will oh. be writing notes about him. Oh, that's the only reason Adam Hill's going, isn't he it? To, to see if A.J. Cole has some kind of competition. Just tracking the punter. That's all that matters for Adam Hill is the punters and kickers.